Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Baba Wesley Gray, your host for Grassroots Holistic Health, and it's a pleasure to have you with us again. And I'm really delighted uh, this nice sunny Sunday. I'm um, Saturday, rather. <laughs> What's today's date? Uh, the 14th. 14th. Okay. Yes. This is um, May 14th, uh, 2016. 
And indeed, uh, we're extra excited this afternoon. We have a guest with us, a Jonathan Haddis Edwards, a really exciting guest who has uh, just a, a smorgasbord, a chokeload of information to share with us. He's a Brooklyn-based herbalist and acupuncturist, writer, diviner, and we're so blessed to have him come to our home here in uh, Brooklyn, New York, to share with us his knowledge and wisdom of the various traditions that he's learned throughout the years. Relatively short years, but full of, uh, <laughs> of exciting knowledge, as it were. Uh, so, indeed, Jonathan, how are you? Doing well. Thank you so much, Leslie, for having me on the show. It's really a blessing to be It's my pleasure to have you with us. Yeah. Really a pleasure to have you, mm-hmm. you with us. Tell me, um, let's just start off with... Uh, sharing with the listening audience uh, your your life as a herbalist and acupuncturist and how you happen to develop an interest in getting involved with that. Sure. Well, as, as people are well aware, it's not exactly the beaten the beaten trail for, for kind of the mainstream. So it's, uh, I started off more on the beaten trail and I veered off and I took a few left turns. And mm-hmm. um, I think, it, you know, for like for a lot of people in, in the healing arts, uh, it was really a process of a, a personal you know, some, some degree of personal health struggles and then also seeing um, illness up close uh, with my family, my father who died of um, an early onset type of Alzheimer's, dementia. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I want to say up front, I'm not, I'm not against Western medicine. It mm-hmm. absolutely has a place. When I, when I severed my tendon in my hand, I was very glad that they could go in there and, fix, you know, fix that. Uh, but they had nothing, they had very little for my father. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had very little for me, even though my struggles were minor, you know, um, more like digestive st- struggles after traveling in Asia. Um, so it was really encountering some of these traditions, starting with the Ayurvedic tradition, which is a traditional medicine mm-hmm. of South Asia and of India, um, that I found very empowering, I guess. I, uh, the way that they understood and the way that they spoke about disease, the metaphorical, almost poetic way that they had with it uh, resonated with me. It spoke to me, and I found that using those, that framework was empowering mm. in, in just to, in, in a place where the Western medical paradigm is very disempowering, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so I started out kind of working, finding some help through that for myself. And um, this was back in college and I was, you know, 2004 type, 2005. Um, and at the same time, I think I was just feeling a lack of connection to the natural world, you know, too much in my head. Um, like a lot of people in that setting. And I ended up spending a lot of time in the woods, mm. a lot of time uh, foraging for, for wild edible plants and spending my time just doing very earthy stuff, cooking and spending time in the woods. And I should have been reading God knows what all, <laughs> philosophy, <laughs> math. Yeah. So I, uh, I started out that way. And uh, one thing led to another. I, I could give the longer version, but let's just leave it at that. No, well, this, uh, this is what you shared with, with us uh, the suffice for now, you know, perhaps we can dig a little deeper. Sure. And uh, I must, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't let the audience know that my wife, my lovely wife, uh, Dr. Dora Gray, is with us. And um, uh, she is uh, another person in my life who is on the same journey in terms of uh, holistic uh, health remedies and, and lifestyle. And uh, it's just exciting to have the match of all of us who are on this journey. And to have you share with us, Jonathan, uh, your knowledge as an herbalist. And, um, honey, would you like to share a word with us for a moment? 
I would just like to greet everyone in the listening audience. I'm glad to be back on the show again, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm just waiting to hear from Jonathan. I'm going to take a back seat because sure. I'm very excited about this show. And you know me, I like to grasp good information, so I'm just going to sit here and do that. Absolutely. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier, Jonathan, about spending time in the forest. Uh, with nature. Mm. Uh, I find that to be very interesting because uh, I think far too many of us, especially those of us who live within the uh, the, the city environment, uh, the only time we get a chance to spend time in nature is in the parks, if you will, or in our backyard. And um, I'd like you to share with us what was the connection that you made with, uh, with nature and its deepest uh, aspect. Sure. Well, I guess maybe starting off by saying I feel like something that we, so many of us, everybody really suffers from in our society, especially as city dwellers, is kind of a disconnect from from the natural world. I mean, on one level, we can never be disconnected from it because we are part of the natural world. We're not yes. separate. But on the other hand, you know, we for however long we've been, uh, from all, all the way back to our roots, we've been part of the landscape and, you know, interacting with plants and animals and the elements and the wind and the sun and the rain, and it's only very, very recently that we're, you know, of course, uh, so sheltered from from all of that. And I think one result of all the technological progress and all the comforts that we've got is we've kind of gotten, for the first time in human history, out of the habit of really uh, being in a comfortable relationship with nature and considering it, you know, um, just our, our natural environment. And I think what's developed a lot is a lot of fear of the natural world. Mm-hmm. Um, like a biophobia, you know, mm. if you will. Um, and I think that's one thing that you see a lot in the Western medical paradigm where, you know, the most, some of the strongest, most go-to substances are antibiotics, anti-life. It's like we're, we're scared of life. <laughs> you know, we're scared of death, but I think we're even more scared of life uh-huh. a lot of the time. Um, so I think it's very healing and very important for people to spend time in nature in whatever way, you know, and uh, not to... You know, depending on where people's comfort zone is, you don't want to throw them onto a wilderness journey mm-hmm. that they're not ready for. But mm-hmm. getting out in the park is certainly a good start. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe taking your shoes off. And yeah, I, I mean, I remember I had a friend when I was little, and I was lucky enough to spend time outside of the city as a kid during the summer. And a, a city friend came up to Vermont where I was, and uh, he's kind of a—he likes to think of himself as kind of a tough, a tough, a tough guy. You know, he was a cool the cool skateboarder kid, but mm-hmm. when he got up to Vermont, he was terrified to walk down the dirt road. Uh, and I didn't understand. I finally asked him what he was scared of, and he was, it turned out he was afraid that a deer was going to jump out and run him over. <laughs> like, a, what? Just like, just like a runaway car. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, that disconnected from nature that you'd be afraid of a deer. Wow. So, I mean, I think that's, you know, that's pretty widespread on some level. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, one of the things that I've, I've learned from my readings and association was that the indigenous people of the world are the most uh, content, they're the happiest. Uh, they're the ones who really have a connection with God. And I think uh, more so not God being the external entity, but God within. Mm. And I think that nature facilitates that, that type of uh, 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 realization, as it were. And also you mentioned death earlier. I think that when you're around nature, you become very cognizant of the fact that uh, uh, there is this uh, cyclic 
pattern and energy of events of, of birth and death. This constantly going on, and you're reminded of that as you uh, journey within the wilderness, mm. or whatever you want to call that yeah. terrain. And um, I think that's one of the things that people should consider doing as much as possible to reconnect with nature, so that you can be aware of, of the of the uh, the magic, you know, the the miraculous uh, um, existence of, of life. Down to the smallest micro, mm-hmm. as it were, to the to the larger uh, entities and so-called uh, um, mammals and and herbivores and so forth. Um, in Asia, you experienced a journey in Asia, as it were. What was the difference that you found when you were in the wilderness in Asia, as opposed to being in, in the the forest area of, of like Connecticut, where you were born, or Vermont? Right. Um, what would I say about that? Um, maybe one thing was that in in Nepal and northeast India, where I spent some time starting in 2005, mm-hmm. ended up going back there for another year um, after an initial semester during college, and then for, for a third trip as well. Um, you know, we I think we in the West of this or in, in the States have have a real sense of like a you know, there's the human world, and then there's the natural world, and we kind of have this wilderness thing. And um, there's not so much of a, you know, there's actually not that many what you would call wilderness areas, mm-hmm. except for very remote parts of the mountains where it's just too harsh for, for most people or things to live. Um, so it was more about people were just living with nature. It wasn't necessarily wilderness, but uh, they just, they there was at least some grove or some, you know, people were just much more comfortable Um it also was a, it was a, not an urban environment. It was a, it was a village setting, mm-hmm. so it was just part of daily life to go into the woods and cut some bamboo with your machete, and you know maybe forage some this and that herbs for your puja, your religious ceremony, or um, yeah, and that's something that I think is common all over the world, and including in more rural you know parts of the states still. But it's it's knowledge that's dying out, um, and that's been a big big theme and a big concern of of mine is that. Not just endangered species, and it's not just endangered, um, you know, pollution. It's actually endangered knowledge and endangered traditions, which have their own long lineage and are being uh, really threatened and um, in danger of, of of dying out in many cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but then I, I jokingly mentioned you as being relatively young, but uh, we have well, true. <laughs> <laughs> but we have these designations of the Generation X. Millennials, um, I'm a little older than the baby boomer generation, as mm. were, and, and I was just so blessed to uh, take hold of uh, the sport of running, and and my running in the parks reconnected me with nature mm. in a way that I think was very unique during cross country training and running. Uh, my question is: the millennial, uh, uh, so-called millennial age group, uh, is there an indication that they are now uh, going back to the to nature, and and also there's this new expression called new thought as opposed to new age. Hmm. Is that something that you're familiar with? I'm not actually familiar with that with that term, although I'm, now that I've heard it, it'll probably start to pop up <laughs> everywhere. Um, but in terms of your first question about is there a turn back towards nature? I feel like with anything, once you get to the you know the pendulum swings all the way one way, mm-hmm. we we can't take it much farther as a culture and as a society towards technological and towards divorce from the natural world. I think there's a natural 
rebelliousness almost that the next generation is going to say, wait a minute, like you did all this stuff for us and that's great, but what, what about all the stuff that you left out and that you didn't, that you didn't give us? So I think, you know, this is zooming out and looking at a pretty large time scale, but I think starting already and continuing for the next several decades, maybe several generations, even there's going to be a major turning. I, I mean, this, can't, I can't predict the course of things. There's, I think we're at a time of such upheaval and also such potential at the same time. And I think out of the chaos and out of a lot of systems breaking down, there's gonna, there has to be. I mean, that's, when people talk about the word sustainable, it's not, just a, it's not just a buzzword. It's like if something is not sustainable, then it, it's, by definition, it can't keep going. <laughs> so we have all these unsustainable things that just can't go on forever because it doesn't, it's not possible. They don't yeah. have the foundation. So eventually there's got to be a turn back. Mm -hmm. But I, I do see it amongst a lot of people my own age, a lot of people interested in agriculture, interested in natural medicine, interested in spiritual practices, which I think you so eloquently said are, are so intimately involved with the natural world. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I see yeah. a lot of cause for, for hope in that regard. Your daughter has a, an adage, of, uh, maybe not an adage, but mind, body, spirit that you're constantly sharing with, with me and others in her particular circle. Sure. And uh, uh, that's something that, you know, how nature and how the creator, the universe, sometimes forces us to come to terms with things that we've been ignoring, mm. such as uh, the food that we eat. And if Dora and I are both vegetarians, and uh, every now and then, sporadically, we have a vegan uh, journey that we're on for mm. a couple of days. Yeah, right. But uh, we, we, I'm, I'm recognizing that... Uh, just by the forces of nature in terms of the warming of the planet, which, of course, depending on which school of thought you embrace and the argument that goes in terms of uh, humans are responsible in, in part for the, uh, the warming of the planet in terms of the gases and, you know, the uh, irresponsible way in which we've been using energy. Uh, and, and then, I don't want to skirt around, but I think I should mention the fact that Food is something that people are beginning to realize is very important in terms of understanding the difference between organic uh, grown food as opposed to food that has pesticides and contaminants. And, and then, of course, if you're a meat eater, if you have to eat meat, that you eat meat uh, that the animals are free roaming and even taking it a step further, that meat is, that is processed or killed through a tradition of halal, through mm -hmm. the Jewish community tradition or the Islamic tradition, which is halal, and the Jewish being kosher. These are factors which the majority of people are not aware of. And I think there's, like you said, the pendulum is beginning to swing back towards this uh, uh, understanding of nature. Uh, hopefully, it can be accelerated, and I would hope that shows like this can share information about that. But uh, let's just get into the area of you being an herbalist. Is is this something that you find that is receptive by those in your circle? Uh, I know that when I tell people I'm a vegetarian, in my age group, they say, oh, man, you're eating that rabbit food, you know. Where do you get your nourishment? Yeah. Where do you get your protein? So are you getting that same type of dynamic in terms of you being an herbalist and an acupuncturist? Of course, you definitely get a certain amount of, uh, I mean, you can kind of feel that when somebody asks you what you do and you say you're an acupuncturist and they say, oh, interesting, you know, <laughs> like, okay, I'm not going to stick any needles that you don't know. <laughs> it, it's all over the map. But a, a lot of people, maybe it's surprising, but really light up and say, oh, like, I didn't 
didn't think anything about acupuncture, but my sister got so much relief after her surgery. Or, you know, lots of people, if they haven't had a good experience with it, they often know somebody who has. So mm-hmm. people, I think, are more open to it all the time. And, you know, acupuncture has kind of been at the leading edge of kind of the alternative medicine influx over the past several decades. It's one of the earlier modalities to become certified, and it's been a profession in the state since the 70s. So that's already almost, you know, getting close to 50 years that it's been available. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I'd say acupuncture is actually more familiar and accepted than, than herbalism, which has been so squashed. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, even 100 years ago or a little more, we had so many different medical traditions, even taught in medical schools. And this rise of pharmaceuticals as the only, as the only way has been relatively recent and very sudden and very, very thorough. And there's a lot of, of course, politics and, um, you know, uh, not to get into the whole business side of, of the medical industry because let's focus on the good stuff, focus on the positive. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But uh, herbalism is something that I think has been seen historically in the last hundred years as a threat. And mm-hmm. uh, the way that's been handled has been through a lot of ridicule and suppression. And people seem to hold very, uh, a lot of people seem to hold either or somehow, paradoxically, they hold both of these views. One, that herbs don't do anything, that they're, effect, that they're mm-hmm. not effective. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time that they're dangerous. Mm-hmm. So they, they they can't do anything good, but they can they can hurt you. So they can, yes. <laughs> you know, any of course the dose makes the poison, the dose makes the medicine. So everything that can hurt you can can harm you, and, and vice versa. So yes. Um, but at the same time, I have friends in uh, who are medical doctors or, or medical students who are actually very interested and open. So I think that's something that's shifting, shifting as well. That's great. Yeah. And uh, to go, you said so many a few things, and uh, when you spoke last that triggered little thoughts, uh, so many different pathways we could go down here. One was uh, talking about food, which would certainly be a good thing to get into. Um, and then another one that I didn't want to let slip by was um, this idea that when spirit or you know the universe brings something to our doorstep that we wouldn't have thought to ask for, but actually is exactly what we need to, to change. And I think you know illness is such a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, when, we, when we get sick, and of course, nobody wants to get sick, but it can be such a transformative journey. So I'm, I really am into this idea of, of illness as a teacher, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, finding the meaning in the illness and finding the lessons in it, so that you can actually become stronger. Mm-hmm. You know, this this idea of the wounded healer who goes through some sort of crisis and comes out able to help people in a different way. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's interesting in terms of when you mentioned illness uh, being the, the healer. Um, I know Doris said she wanted to. See. It back, but uh, I can't. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that she has, since we've been married going on nine years, has led a very uh, miraculous life, uh, being so blessed in terms of having um, diabetes and, uh, and taking injections of insulin and so forth. And, and now she's, you know, remit, she's in remission. Uh, I don't know to what I guess 85, 90 percent or so. And she's on the journey of getting rid of it through uh, a naturopathic, uh, uh, homeopathic uh, modalities of, of, uh, of healing. So I told her when I first met you that I was so excited. We have to live next door to her, mm. you know, a young man who uh, is an herbalist and acupuncturist. And she's received acupuncture treatment also. And I says, you know, this is... Uh, enforces or this um, adds to the to the expression of the law of attraction, and uh, and the fact that indeed we've been learning and 
and, and meditating and making affirmations that we can learn as much as we can, as fast as we can, in terms of how to uh, become healthier and maintain the health, as it were. Uh, so, well, if Sabrina, I like can, you, can you share with us some thoughts, Laura, in terms of... So what I'd like to interject is that my healing journey has led me to a state of balance, which did not exist within me before. I, Anyone who knows me knows I run around talking about mind, body, spirit, mind, body, spirit, and they have to be weighted in such a way that you have balance. You can't run around and proselytize about spirit because that's acting out of very much out of a state of imbalance. Mm -hmm. You can't just um, the the um, example I give with bodybuilders. You can't just pump up your body, but you don't talk about the spiritual, or you're not learning anything new mentally. Or so you you've got to have this balance. I I, I have a picture on my desk of a carn, and we know that a carn are balanced in stones, and uh, that just keeps me focused that things should be in balance with your healing journey. So my healing journey has led me to balance. And uh, my husband just mentioned the law of attraction. We're very much students and teachers of it as well as other philosophies. And uh, for me, talking about health, I don't claim the term diabetic. I'm not a diabetic. Diabetes is the result of other things that occur in your body. And I find that, you know, words have power. And if you say you're a diabetic, you'll be a diabetic. So what I say is I'm healed. You know, I go through various stages of healing. I'm healed. I am medicine free. You know, and I'm, I reduce the types of supplements that I take, I take supplements such as Janina Silvestri and, you know, things like that. Uh, and these things are safe. Okay. Um, I refer to diabetes as being a hormonal disorder. I refer to it in, in such a way that it's a condition resulting from inflammation, but I don't claim the term diabetes. So, those, so it, words have power. So when we're talking about healing, when we're talking about things in our life, okay, it makes sense that if you, you know, if you eat too much of this type of food or you don't do this or you do this instead of doing something else, you might end up having inflammation. But don't label yourself. That's, that's just a reaction that your body's having to certain things that are either present or not present. So I'm, you know, so I'm very much for taking away labels. I'm very much for taking away labels because words have power. You have to stop me because you know I'll go on and on and on and on and on. And that's why I said in the beginning I am taking a back seat because I will go on and on and on and on and on. So this is John in response to what you just said. Please. I agree with pretty much everything that you just said, and thank you for sharing that. Yeah, where to jump in there? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not quite sure what road to what road to go down. Yeah, certainly, uh, words have power, and um, I'm, I'm a believer in the power of, of subtle things. If you can, can, if you can make an intervention at a level that's kind of upstream, you don't have to. What's a good example? Like if you can change somebody's belief, and then they'll change their behavior naturally from that. So education is more powerful than you know. It's like you don't want to you don't want to do the hard work if you can if you can make a uh, a subtle intervention, and and that's really. 
Um, I think a lot of the strength of acupuncture, for the most part, we're working at the level of the qi, as it's called in the Chinese medicine tradition, the, the, the energy of the body. Um, and it's like, it's like you're working on the blueprint instead of on the building. It's like if yeah. you can change things there, then what's going to get built is, is automatically different, but it's a lot easier to, you know, <laughs> to work at that level. It's a lot less, less work. But I also think people are biased against the subtle. You know, it's a very, we're kind of mired in this materialist paradigm, and that's shifting as well. Mm-hmm. But certainly in mainstream medicine, the bias is still towards uh, things that you can weigh and count and measure. And chi, you know, people have made some instruments that can detect different energies of the body. Sure, but it's, 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 uh, it's something that's not, uh, it's not really a tangible thing. It's a qualitative thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's another theme for me in medicine quality over, over quantity. I think we get so hung up on uh, yeah. quantities. Even when we talk about food, we talk about the quantities of fat and carbohydrates. And I'm sorry, that just doesn't get at the essence of what food and nourishment are, are about. You know, I think quality, people will do well to pay a lot more attention to the quality of what they eat. And that's what you were speaking about, uh, organic and um, even subtler qualities than that. Was it, was it grown in a environment that was infused with good intentions and love because that stuff does yes. Yes. make a difference or is it you know even even meat it can be raised with respect and slaughtered you know in a sacred manner and that's a very different animal if you will than something that was mm-hmm. a sick animal that was force fed given drugs its whole life never saw the light of day and then was slaughtered in, a, in an atmosphere of terror I mean, yeah. that's, that's something that most people if they knew what they were eating they, they wouldn't be able to stand it mm-hmm. You know, we've got the slaughterhouses don't have glass walls, and people like to eat what they eat, and yeah. So that's even all. the aspect of her the the uh, argument that um, the animal knows that it's about to be slaughtered, and um, it gets a rush of, of uh, adrenaline that flows into its blood. Yeah. And unless you're eating meat that's uh, killed from a spiritual uh, halal or kosher, where they drain the blood out and wash the meat with salt and what have you. Um, I know the, the the old custom years ago. Then you have a rare steak, you know, rare, you know, so the blood is still there. Mm-hmm. And um, the argument, I forget who the writer was, but uh, saying that that's why you have uh, meat consumers who who are very anxious and aggressive, mm-hmm. you know, and taking in the stress of that animal. Yes, yeah. indeed, through osmosis of that right. consumption. Yeah. So a lot to be said about that. Indeed. Yeah, food. We could talk for days about mm-hmm. about food. Can yeah. I just interject one moment sure. regarding the um, allopathic medicine? Because I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm totally against allopathic medicine. I have a respect for allopathic medicine because the insulin saved my life. I would have been dead if they hadn't administered large doses of yep. insulin to me in the hospital. But what, what I stand firm on is while I have a respect for it and there is definitely a place for it, I personally know that it's not meant to be a life sentence. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's meant to do whatever its purpose is and you let it go. That You should not be on prescription medication for the rest of your life, Absolutely. so-called managing the symptoms. You want to cure the symptoms. And I have found that um, through the homeopathic pathway, mm-hmm. I have been able to reverse to the point where I can assert that I'm cured, mm-hmm. okay, because my pancreas is functioning. If, if I was on the insulin, it would not be functioning anymore. I would draw the analogy of when they have someone on 
you know, a respirator and they're not breathing on their own. So, okay, they're alive, but are they really? Because the machine is breathing for them. They're not breathing, so they're not really alive. And that's what the um, allopathic medicine does for you. It keeps you in that suspended state of animation, okay? You're basically in a state of suspended animation. That's my thought. I, I, I agree. I feel, yeah, I feel like it's an amazing life-saving medicine, you know, for emergencies, especially if you need a new part, if you need a new knee or a hip, we're incredible. Yeah. You know, we're treating the body like a machine, but sometimes that's, that, that can be very effective. But mm -hmm. I think what it's lacking is, just like you said, you know, it's, it's, in my way of thinking, I guess it's, it's lacking a, a respect for the body's own vitality and intelligence. Yeah. And I think that boils down to not trusting life. Not you know, we want to control, we're scared and we want to control every little variable and we don't give it room to, uh, it's like if you, if you never expect a child to walk and you're always kind of, you know, not scared every time it stands up, it's never yeah. going to learn, it's never going to learn to walk. But if you yeah. kind of expect a little bit more of the system and give it room to grow and room to heal, we, we don't. You know, so, so many cases of doctors saying, oh, it must be a mistake. It's some, some mistake that your cancer went away. <laughs> yeah. They don't believe it when you're healed. Right. The, the doc, you remember the doctor, the um, endocrinologist that yeah. I was unfortunately dealing with, and um, she actually yelled at me, who told you to stay home and rest? Who told you to come? Yeah. Lady, look at my numbers. One thing about this world is numbers don't lie. <laughs> look at my numbers. Now, what's the problem? <laughs> you know? So we, we really have to sometimes, well, I, because well, I, I don't want to suggest. I like people to follow their own path and have their own experience. But if I were to suggest something, sometimes you have to take control of your life. Someone has letters after their name, but sometimes it doesn't mean that they're able to lead you the right pathway. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's nice to have letters after your name, but sometimes you have to do your own due diligence. You have to listen to spirit and do what's right for yourself. And unfortunately, sometimes the people with the numbers have a vested interest in, consciously or not, in promoting a fear, a very fear-based uh, way of thinking so that people, especially the cancer, you know, I've been watching this documentary series, The Truth About, Truth About Cancer recently, and it's, mm -hmm. it's very eye-opening. I, I recommend it. Um, you know, I think the, there's this analogies to the political situation where if, if people are in a state of fear or a state of terror, then they'll buy into yes. what's yes. available. Yes. Um, so, yeah, doc, not, you know, there's a lot of good doctors who are not intentionally uh, promoting that, yes. but there's so much fear out there that it, it becomes a real impediment to, to people becoming empowered. So I think a major step for a lot of people is to say, is to do what you, just what you said. I'd like to interject to the listening audience that everything that we're sharing with you is really uh, information that we have found to be beneficial to us. Uh, we are not recommending that you follow any, uh, any formulas or recipes or prescriptions or the knowledge that we share, we do advise that you consult your personal physician before uh, attempting to utilize any of the information, any of the information that we share with you on this show. Uh, with that being said, I'd like to take a short break, and we'll be back with you momentarily.
Okay, we're back. Thank you for holding. Again, uh, this is Barbara Wesley Gray speaking to you from New York City, Grassroots Holistic Health Talk Radio Show. And it's a pleasure to have you with us. And we have our esteemed guest, uh, Mr. Jonathan Haddis Edwards, an herbalist and acupuncturist. And we're really having a great time, along with my lovely wife, uh, Dr. Dora Gray, who's sharing with us uh, the experiences that we've had with uh, herbs and food and acupuncture. So where do we leave off, uh, Jonathan? Oh, well, we've been down the rabbit hole a little bit of talking yes. about <laughs> <laughs> talking about some of the ills of the the medical the prevailing medical paradigm. But uh, I think we also agree that we want to focus on the positive today. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I think that that should be the theme of this show: is focus as much as we possible. I think I think that's powerful medicine for folks because yeah. there's so much negative out there to get caught up in and yeah. Yes. Uh, even though we know that everything that uh, we involve ourselves with has a political connotation of sorts, you know, but we want to uh, vibe into the area of solutions as opposed to uh, this uh, lingering with the problems right. as it were. Yeah. And you bring with yourself, uh, Jonathan, a, a, a a, uh, a platform, a, a energy of, of, of solutions, as it were. Um, acupuncture. Now you're dealing with energy, right? And and there's a theory that energy is is those of us who are prone to be ill. Perhaps we need to realign our energy uh, chakras and uh, things of that nature. Meridian zones. Explain to the listening audience how acupuncture is is uh, relevant to that particular nuance. Sure. Yeah. I mean, acupuncture is an interesting interesting thing. It, it works on a number of different number of different levels. Um, and one of the cool things about it is that you can really oftentimes feel it feel it working. You know, mm-hmm. people go into some interesting have interesting experiences while the needles are in, and you can feel uh, some sorts of realigning happening. Um, through this system of energetic anatomy that some practitioners may be very highly skilled or highly trained ones are very tuned into. Other ones are uh, more interfacing with indirectly, but that's okay. Uh, it's through, through, through various means, everybody uh, doing that work is finding a way to, what it amounts to is kind of tuning, tuning somebody, it's a tune-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, more like tuning an instrument than tuning up a car. And actually, the, some of the Chinese characters, you know, Chinese, of course, being a symbolic language, it has such rich resonance for, for some of these meanings. The word for, just a brief digression there, the word for medicine in, China, in Chinese, the classical language, is uh, very closely related to the word for, for music. Mm. So you're doing, you're doing music with, with plants. That was the old word for, for herbal medicine. You're, uh, ah. there's, there's an, it's this idea, of it's an art, and you're, uh, you're bringing somebody into a greater state of harmony. You know, really, you're harmonizing when something is out of out of tune, mm-hmm. and so people, you know, of course, just like you're not comfortable if you're sitting there in a room listening to an out of tune instrument, and you're not comfortable in your body and really at peace with yourself if your if your energetic system, your mind, body, and spirit are some ways out of tune. So acupuncture can help bring somebody into a greater state of resonance, mm-hmm. and people people feel better. It's almost like that that tuning and the feeling better is like a a side effect of acupuncture, you can say. 
you know, you don't you don't have to treat you know we don't do like uh, typically specific points for um, mood and anxiety, although you, you can, but it's like, it's almost like those things are a given when when you, if you give somebody a good treatment that they're just going to feel mm-hmm. feel better mm-hmm. um, for a period of time. I would say then uh, one's uh, inner emotion, such as anger, uh, being, uh, what's the word, uh, jealous, uh, not being able to forgive, mm-hmm. holding grudges. Uh, those are things which we found out, uh, my wife and I, that can uh, bring upon illness, as it were. And, of course, if you're going to you as an acupuncturist, to, to receive treatment if you have those particular emotional uh, uh, traits, as it were, your treatment is not going to be as successful as it were if one was proactive in, in getting rid of anger and, and, and being balanced emotionally. Is that something that you, you interact with your patients? Uh? Absolutely. I think the emotional factor is not to be discounted at all. Um, and I think it's something that Chinese medicine being from the start, at its roots, a holistic system that takes mind, body, and spirit into account as a matter of course, uh, the emotional level is something that is um, woven in into the whole. I mean, one of the beautiful things about Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, these systems, is that they're based on a, a traditional way of seeing the world, a cosmology that sees the world as its web of interrelated everything, you know, the, the, this old idea from many different traditions that the, the body is a reflection of the larger universe, it's a microcosm and yeah. the, the world out there is a macrocosm. So uh, every organ in the body, every, every channel has, has resonance with different, different parts of nature and in the same way, the uh, different emotions resonate with different organs. So one thing we're aiming to do with Chinese medicine and that it's very well suited to, to help with is um, to help people go from the more negative expression of a given emotion to its its potential. I think that's a lot of, um, rather than, you know, and as a larger philosophical point with the medicine, instead of dying, diagnosing a problem and trying to fix fix somebody, it's more, I think the higher goal is to sort of help somebody achieve uh, their own potential, a higher expression. And whatever stuck negative emotions can be transformed into um, the hidden potential in that situation. So mm-hmm. the, the kidney, for example, is associated with fear a lot of the time and as well as all well the certain physical symptoms and of course the urinary tract and you know um, many different levels of resonance of what what Chinese medicine means when it says the kidney um, and so when you when the kidney's not in a state of balance you may have a lot of anxiety you may have a lot of fear you may have urinary trouble or low back pain or, or other things that relate um, and when when the kidney is in a state of health all of those problems will be transformed into a, a state of strength so mm-hmm. instead of the, the, the healthy version of fear would be like a healthy awe, like an awe for the majesty of, of the universe, a reverence almost, yes, yes. as opposed to clicking your boots at the, <laughs> the vastness of it all. And the same as the anger goes with the liver. In this case. Oh, you mentioned the liver. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anger is with liver. Uh-huh. Can I interject from the standpoint of the patient? Because when I had acupuncture. I had acupuncture twice as the result of car accidents. So I had back pain and associated, you know, lumbar and those type of things. But here's the interesting thing from what you're describing. Um, I went for one thing but found out that the treatments gave me an overall sense of well-being. I was, and it wasn't about the pain in my back, the pain in my shoulder. It wasn't 
It wasn't so much about that, but when I would leave the office, I had this overall sense of well-being like, wow, I feel great, and that's what it does to you. Mm-hmm. So, so people that, you know, of course it's going to work on whatever specific, you know, uh, issue that you have, but it affects the entire body. And that's what I found was the beauty of it. So you could you can get you don't you don't have to have you know. And speaking from experience, you don't have to have a specific physical or emotional condition to receive acupuncture. I think everybody should have it mm-hmm. just every now and then, just for that increased sense of well-being. If that you work at a stressful mm-hmm. yes, it's a tune-up. If you work at a stressful job, or you know, if you have unruly children, or whatever might be the stressors in your life. Acupuncture can relieve that. It doesn't have to be something major like, you know, your, a car accident causing you not to be able to move your arm. It doesn't have to be anything major right. like that. Because right. yeah, a lot of times people tend to think, oh, I don't really have any medical conditions. I don't need that. Not true. It can definitely benefit you. So everything you're saying is it's really true because I personally experienced that. <laughs> And, and one thing that they, you know, and I should know, but I should know whether this is actually a historical thing or whether it's just one of these tales that gets told. Yes, the the yes. thing that you always hear is that in China, traditionally, you paid your doctor while you were well, and if you got sick, your doctor was doing something wrong and you didn't pay them. <laughs> so it's like the doctor's job is to keep you healthy, and I think that, I think that's something that we've kind of lost sight of, like a a sense of what it, what health means. It's like we have parameters for everything, and you're healthy if you're not if you're in this normal range of parameters, but it's kind of a, it's not really a proactive definition of what it is to be, mm-hmm. what it is to be healthy. It's just kind of an absence of disease type of model. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, when people are in reasonably good health, you know, I think the worse shape you're in, in a sense, the more uh, the modern medicine may have to offer, at least in the short term. Mm-hmm. For people who are in a reasonably good state of health, uh, they're just going to say, okay, you know, you're good. Maybe take a baby aspirin for your heart and go home. And, yeah. you know, not that that's the panacea that I would, that I would necessarily yeah. recommend. Yeah. But I think that's where, um, that, and now I also believe in the power of herbalism and also acupuncture and these different modalities to treat very serious conditions, but certainly also. Um, to improve the quality of life and raise the baseline of vitality, whether that's through nourishment or through whatever through whatever means, um, that's something that um, and that's that's you know that's also one place where Western medicine and, and these other modalities can work work together. If Western medicine can kind of recognize its blind spots and limitations and say, okay, you're 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 doing better now. You can you can go home, go see an herbalist and rebuild and restore and. Um, yeah, this, 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 as you were talking, I had other questions that came to my mind, and we probably need another show or two or three, perhaps, to just cover all these areas that, that I'm excited about uh, uh, getting your take on. But uh, one thing that came to my mind was we were talking about acupuncture, which involves someone who is an expert practitioner and has needles and what have you, and knows the meridian zones. And, but uh, what came to my mind was acupressure. Mm-hmm. And this is a modality that one can do do to themselves uh, by getting certain books and talking to people like yourself uh, in terms of the proper way of doing that. Uh, that has me excited in terms of one who doesn't have access to an acupuncturist. But if you have any knowledge of acupressure, which can be, I'm told, equally as effective, um, 
Is that true? And, and what is your take on that? I, I'm definitely for people being empowered. And uh, I'm also for people being educated and um, not having unrealistic expectations that, you know, this point that you can press on is going to be a magic bullet or something like that. Um, but it's, it, it's certainly true that you can do a lot with manual manual therapies. Um, you don't have to be sticking needles in somebody's body to affect things. And, and you, both of you as, as Reiki practitioners, uh, that that's a great example of something that's such a subtle intervention. It's through touch or even at a distance um, and huge, huge effects mm-hmm. for somebody. Um, so, yeah, certainly it doesn't, it doesn't have to be using a needle. There are many ways to, to affect the body and, and the energy. Would you say that uh, using that, um, that, that, that notion, uh, having the notion that indeed both of them are effective, but would acupuncture be perhaps more effective and, and more of a, uh, uh, of a powerful mode of, of um, on the whole at the level that most people are likely to engage with acupressure I think acupuncture is probably going to be stronger sure I mean there's certain points that it's difficult to stimulate with, with pressure alone but um as somebody who's very skilled I, I, I don't know uh, it's interesting you know acupuncture seems like a very specific field and then of course the more you get to know it the closer you get to it the more it opens up and you realize what a vast diverse thing is there's so many different ways of practicing acupuncture and you can just see that from the type of tools and the needles that are used from these relatively long thicker needles which are still small compared to a hypodermic syringe but you know these three or four inch kind of sturdy needles that are more used in china to on the opposite end of the spectrum very very fine hair-like needles which are so fine that you can barely see them and they they bend they don't even stay straight that are used in japan and japan has developed a system that's very attuned to subtleties. And in fact, the practitioners over there traditionally for a long time in Japan were the blind, the blind population were the acupuncturists. They were, their uh, other senses were so highly developed that they were such skilled pulse readers and their hands became so good that they could really perform fine tuning with very, very subtle and minimal interventions. And I bet if you took away the needles from a practitioner like that, they could still do incredible work Mm -hmm. with their, with their hands, but that's also a matter of long cultivation and, mm-hmm. and training. So I think um, acupressure can certainly be powerful, but um, it's not just look up on the internet and press a point on your knee, just kind of haphazardly and expect yeah. miracles. Yeah, so, yeah. 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 And the intent and the knowledge goes hand in hand. Um, we have a, a an epidemic, of, perhaps not an epidemic, but there seems to be a surge of, of of uh, incidents of people dying or getting very sick from using opiates, mm. and, and, and the, especially in this country, and I imagine the Western Hemisphere. We recently had uh, various entertainers, not to name any names, but who were found to be abusers of opiates. Mm. And perhaps if they had uh, access to uh, uh, acupuncture, acupuncture rather, uh, which would assist them in dealing with their pain, and uh, I'm not sure if this pain is physical or emotional, maybe both combined. And uh, what would you say about that in terms of recommending acupuncture to those of us who uh, abuse drugs and uh, alcohol and, and such in terms, yeah. of, in terms of dealing with pain? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, um, acupuncture certainly it's one of the areas that it's very well become very well known and actually well studied for is in the treatment of different types of addiction. 
and also for the treatment of different types of pain. You know, I think one of the first things that people think of going to an acupuncturist for is when they have neck pain or back pain. In the community clinic that I work, exactly, the community clinic where I work, probably every other patient comes in with pain as their chief complaint. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you can't do work with other aspects of their being as well, but you're also addressing their pain. Mm -hmm. Or maybe that's the starting point, and then you open up into other other aspects as they keep coming back. but in terms of the addiction piece, there's uh, there's a protocol, a specific protocol using five points in the ear. The mm-hmm. ear kind of is its own little micro acupuncture universe. There's hundreds of points just in the ear alone, yeah. it's its own little microsystem. And five of those points together are a protocol that's been well tested and adopted widely across the country and around the world. And actually, people can be trained to do those five points in the ear without going through three or four years of acupuncture school and licensure. And that's uh, that point I've actually interned while still a student in uh, a few, couple different clinics that use that protocol, including an inpatient detox center where we had a lot of opiate people with opiate addiction, um, alcoholism, people using methamphetamine, people using all manner of prescriptions, often three or four of these substances at the same time. So these are people who are going through active withdrawal and detox, and they would have this, this treatment every day. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just known to be very supportive to the system in terms of getting people through detox. Yeah, yeah I worked at a clinic uh, for a short period of time that utilized that, uh, the ear yeah. treatment for heroin addicts. And um, I was very fascinated about that. And uh, the, the, the joke is they were becoming addicted to the... Yeah, acupuncture, right, 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 picture yeah. poison. Yeah. <laughs> Knocking on the door, you know, you're taking too long with that guy. He might work. Or they ask you, what do you, what's on those needles? What do you yeah, put on those needles? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and then, of course, uh, sharing needles. Um, but uh, it's it's really exciting the fact that indeed each year that uh, you know we we see past that people are embracing Eastern medicine and, and healing modalities. Um, so we're coming close to the end of, of our show, and uh, I want to thank you so much, Jonathan, for uh, uh, sharing with us and the listening audience your knowledge. And, and, of course, we're just touching the surface. We're looking forward to having you join us again and uh, deeper, keeping fur- further down into the, into the, uh, the essence of, of naturopathic healing. And uh, I want to thank you so much, uh, are there any thoughts that you'd like to share with us before we end the show? Oh, so much more that we could go into. We'll save it for the next time. <laughs> Thank you, really. It's a huge honor and a lot of fun to, to be on mm-hmm. here today, and I look forward to, to continuing the conversation. Um, oh, yes, I almost forgot. We have to tell the listening audience uh, how to get in contact with you. Sure, yeah. Contact I, information. Uh, yes, I, I have a website. Uh, my practice is called Access Mundi. Healing Arts. That's, Can you spell that? Of course, yeah. It's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> A-X-I-S-M-U-N-D-I, Healing Arts. AccessMundiHealingArts.com. You can find out more about my work. And, um, you know, that's from my from my private practice here in, here in Bed-Stuy, also making house calls, doing work with that, with needles, also with, uh, with herbs, Chinese herbal formulas, and Western herbal tinctures, working on different levels with, with plants for people. Also doing some some work uh, with divination and more kind of psycho-spiritual type work, which is something we could get into. Yes. Also currently training um, in some ancestral healing mm-hmm. techniques. So those things are all in, in the mix on some level. Um, 
And then also working at a clinic in Gowanus called Brooklyn Acupuncture Project. So people can find me there. That's a very low cost, uh, easily accessible way to come get acupuncture. Great, great. And what is your phone number? Your phone contact? Oh, sure. Yeah, my phone number is 917-257-8663. And again, it's accessmundihealingarts.com. Great, great. And of course, um, my contact information is drumsofchange.com. That's drumsofchange.com. And you can contact me at uh, 888-338-2508. Again, that's 888-338-2508. Before we end, you mentioned uh, about uh, doing the divinations and and I was so excited to learn that indeed uh, you know Maladome Some. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I, I just want the listening audience to know that we're going to talk about that experience. Those of you who know of Maladoma, um, my wife and I had him as a house guest uh, a few years ago, and it was quite an experience. Um, and, and of course, the law of attraction is that we have um, Jonathan, who spent some time with them and learning. Uh, certain uh, aspects of divinations, and, uh, and that's uh, something that goes hand in hand. Regardless of your orientation, your spiritual or religious orientation, these things are very real, and um, those of us of African descent, we have a long history of, of uh, dealing with spirit in a way other than um, the, the usual uh, religious orientations that we have been practicing. So, um, with that being said, we're looking forward to you joining us again next Saturday, um, perhaps at the same time, uh, at 2 p.m., and we look forward to uh, having Jonathan with us, um, uh, God willing. So, again, thank you. We thank the Most High. We thank our ancestors. Uh, I thank you, Dora, my, my dear wife, for joining us and sharing with us your story. Do you have any any parting remarks you make this year? I just want to thank everyone for listening. Jonathan, as always, it's delightful to be in your presence. Thank you so much for sharing the information that you have with us. So thank you, everyone. Ashe. Thank you, guys. Ashe. So again, Alapia, Bodepue, Namaste, peace and love, or Shalom Alikum, Shalom. Peace and blessings to all until we talk again next week.